Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hello and welcome to the Green Industry Podcast with Paul Jamison. This show is all about helping lawn care and landscaping professionals take your business to the next level. Paul is the author of four best-selling books, including Cut That Grass and Make That Cash, and his brand new book, The Lawn Care Advantage, winning strategies for a thriving landscaping business. Available on Audible and narrated by Mr. Producer. Now, here's your host... Paul Jamison. Y'all, we finally have the lawn care millionaire, Jonathan Potoshnik. Might have to change that to a lawn care billionaire, the way things are going. Uh, We'll see. (laughs) So for those of you who don't know the lawn care millionaire, he uh, is from City Turf. He started Service Autopilot. It was successfully acquired uh, back in 2019. August of 19. August of yep. 19. Naylor was telling me you're on a two-year sabbatical and the entrepreneur in you is ready to get, get back into the game, man. That's why I'm here. I'm getting bored. <laughs> so I heard you on the Boardroom part Podcast. Oh, yeah. That yeah. was excellent. Oh, good. Thank you. Yeah. So yeah, I, I like, go, like those guys. I want to go sharp. back to your story, Jonathan, when you had City Turf going on. Service Autopilot was an inception. You were doing a couple other things with medical software. Mm-hmm. Uh, walk us back to that stage of your life when you had so much going on. Okay. So this would be the 2000s. I was a partner in a cleaning company. We clean movie theaters. I was doing tech consulting because my first software business, uh, who was my, the same business partner in Service Autopilot, our first business in our early 20s, we didn't make it. it was, we were working on a really challenging problem and uh, a little too challenging for us with the amount of money we had. Mm-hmm. And so I started doing computer consulting because I didn't want to get a job. And so like programming, that kind of thing. And so I was doing that. I ended up becoming a partner in the cleaning company because I was working with them on some technology stuff. And they're like, hey, do you want to be our partner? And then I ended up in the lawn care business, which became City Turf. And then I that one of another one of my consulting clients uh, was starting a company in the healthcare space and they wanted me to come in and build the technology and get all their initial clients. So I ultimately had four things going and towards it, the end. I of just 2000s. met your son, Riley. Yeah. And Riley. He looks like he's young 20s. He's 21. So at what point did you get married in all of this? Oh, I got married at 21. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'd been married a while. So, and, and at what point was the entrepreneurship journey when you met your wife? Um, well, I started mowing yards when I was 14. So she knew me as, uh, the kid in high school that made money and worked his butt off and didn't show up to school a lot because he was working. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. So I met how many, her when I was 17. And then how many years have you guys been married? 25. Okay. Yeah. Cause I was, I was laughing so hard listening to your podcast. Hey, N- Hey, Naylor. Rookie. Sorry, we're, yeah, try, we're right. trying That's to film. Right. We're trying okay. to film a podcast here. We got we got Jason's rear end there. But you're talking about uh, doing the dishes, and your wife oh, yeah. expects you to clean them afterwards. That's uh-huh. how I am. That's- you're talking about going and hanging out for 20 minutes. I was like, that. <laughs> yep, that- you really did hear the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. I listen That's to that my but, life to this day. But my, what I'm what I'm insinuating, I want you to talk about is how okay. do you have a 25 year marriage when you're working to 3 a.m. and you're you're obsessed with business. Mm. 
well. Um, I think Tiffany and I had a number of interests that were the same. We were aligned on how we wanted to raise our kids and we were aligned on um, we wanted a strong relationship and just a number of things. She was supportive of the business. Um, she, there was an element of trust. I looked maybe as naive on her part because we were so young, but yeah. there was this element of trust where she didn't question a lot of what I was doing. She sort of let me run that side of our lives and I let her run the kid side of our lives, which both of those things mattered to us. And so I think the dividing up and conquering was valuable for us. Mm-hmm. Um, but I give her a ton of credit because early in our marriage, we I don't remember how the conversation went down, but we wanted to have dinners as a family. Mm-hmm. We wanted to go on date nights. I mean, this goes back to my 20s. Oh, wow. And we had said, these are the things we want to do. And my wife's a very processed person, structured mm-hmm. person. You, I guess yeah. you heard that on the podcast. And um, whenever I would say, hey, I really need to work tonight. It's Friday night. Tiffany would be like, no. No, we were so going to do day, day nights. Remember that? It's yeah. like, or whenever it's like, hey, I'm going to be, I, I felt guilty if I'd be home late for dinner. So mm-hmm. she really kept me accountable. And so I look back, the reason I'm telling this story is I look back and I think, man, um, I could have really slipped up and just let more and more and more work creep into my life and messed up other parts of my life, my mm-hmm. family and kids, which are incredibly important to me. I, a well-lived life is all of the stuff, not just the business and the money. And so she really helped hold me accountable. And I'm really thankful for that. And so I think protecting the time to go have date nights, eventually when we could afford it to do some traveling, even if it was short trips to have dinner with our boys and as a family every night, if I wasn't out of town, just those things were really, really important. And I'll give another one to her. She's a better talker than I am. I'm a really great talker in the business. Like I can come talk to you all day long, but, um, Tiffany's really good as like, okay, we need to have this conversation about this thing. Whereas I could just like, you know, gloss over that stuff and go back to work. And so that was probably pretty, I'll give her credit there too. That's probably pretty good where we had conversations if there could be challenges in our marriage. And I think that's valuable. What was her input as you're building these businesses and making decisions along the way? Did did she ever get a sense or a feeling and say, hey, you shouldn't do that or you should do this? Or did she have any um, influence in your decisions as a, as a business leader? Um, I'm sure she did. I don't think it's going to be quite what you're asking, but one of the things I noticed, this is where we just had this unique, she worked as an entrepreneur's wife. And what I mean, it's like a really challenging, I, any spouse that goes down the road with an entrepreneur, I mean, they've signed up for something quite challenging and it doesn't always work out. And so it's tough, (laughs) you know, and, and for them. And so, for whatever reason, she just didn't seem to be too terribly uptight about will it work out. And so and I'm sure she was a little worried at times. But where I'm going with this is we what I noticed is it wasn't so much that I'd have a conversation and say, hey, do you think I should do this? It was more sometimes when I didn't tell her about some kind of an idea, like I didn't want to really tell anybody about it. After the fact, when that idea didn't work out, I was like, oh, maybe that's why I didn't want to tell anybody about it or didn't want to tell Tiffany about it. I didn't want anybody to beat down my idea. I didn't want anybody to challenge my idea. Yeah. And so um, it's not what you're asking, but I've noticed over the years, there's been a few things I haven't, not that I've shared everything I'm doing, because you know it's probably good that we didn't talk about business all the time. I, I actually think that was great. But I, I have had this experience where I've thought these things that were kind of big decisions that I didn't tell Tiffany about, there was a clue there that maybe I didn't want to defend them because I wasn't a hundred percent certain they'd really work out. Does that kind of make yeah, sense? Yeah, no, a hundred percent. Okay. And, um, 
And then uh, the other thing that was kind of challenging for us at times, and she handled it great, but we were building these businesses and I never raised capital. I never even had line of credit Mm -hmm. for any of my businesses. And so you're just putting everything back in. You're living as inexpensive as you possibly can, trying to afford the next person in your company that is going to make your life a little bit better. Like that's the never ending game for quite some time. And so we, we've always had friends that are older than us. A lot of our friends are historically have been maybe 10 years older than us. Yeah. So, and they have jobs and good jobs. So they're buying BMWs and bigger houses and, uh, you know, the Yukon or whatever the car, you know, the SUV back in the day. And I remember that being a little bit of a thing where it's like Tiffany really wanted, like, could I get the nicer SUV for the boys? That kind of a thing. And I remember some of those things being, they felt stressful to me, like, because I saw this vision of what we were, where we were going and we needed to keep investing. And she was ready for a little bit more feeling of success and some stuff. And I was pushing that off. And so that was one of the challenging things. I mean, we navigated it fine, but I remember feeling pressure around it. And I remember her feeling frustration around it. Very well said. I want to hear the story of service autopilot. If, if you look at the, the biography of, of Jonathan, you know, and it's a previous chapter of just pure success. At what point did you see that pain point of, you know, the administrative part of a, a business and, and how did you actually start that company and then, you know, get it successfully acquired? Yeah. So I saw it initially. There was, I was a partner in this cleaning company I alluded to, all commercial, mm-hmm. big deals. And, uh, we, I was trying to find some software for that and it just, I, it was hard. And I had looked at a product called NetSuite that was really yeah. expensive at the time. And this, yeah. and they're way more expensive today. Yeah. And, Oracle. Uh, now it's owned by Oracle. Yeah. yeah. Oracle was one of the big, Larry Ellison was one of the big early investors. And then I think if yes, I remember sir. Oracle acquired it. So anyway, I had that experience through the cleaning company trying to find something NetSuite to stand. I was like, man, this is a lot of money. How does a small company, smaller company afford this? And then the real breakthrough though was with CityTurf. So when I started City Turf, I had this. I actually started City Turf as commercial and switched it to residential. And I had made up this number. I want a thousand clients. Well, then you start thinking about how do I bill a thousand clients? How do I handle the phone calls? How do you use or manage all the moving parts of a thousand client business? Right. And and today it's eleven thousand client business. And and I wasn't there yet, but I could see where we were going. And so I was looking around in the marketplace, and I couldn't find anything. And so oh, I knew how to program. So I started building my own little application to run city turf and then the cleaning business mm-hmm. and um, kind of muddled through. And we had estimating and some basic to task management and such. And that's where I got the idea for service autopilot. I, wow. You know, John and I had been trying to get back to John's was my business partner in service autopilot. Okay. We'd been trying to get back together to work on software. That's what we both wanted to do. And he had stayed in that space, but working for people. Yeah. And so this was the the pain I was feeling around how am I going to build bigger businesses with lots of moving parts and lots of clients is where the idea came from. Because I looked in the you know the first company I looked at back then that I was really interested in was Real Green. Yeah. But Real Green was really fertilization. We control. Of they did some cool stuff on marketing. That's one of the things I liked about this. Like, oh, these guys are a little bit, they think about direct mail and marketing. You know, no other software in the green space was doing that. Mm-hmm. But there was a, they were, they just felt like the older desktop technology and there's a number of things I didn't like. And that's, if I had gone with real green, I may never have started a software company, but they just didn't quite tick the boxes. And I thought they were the the best at the time. And so um, that's where the idea came from. And John, I was able to get John excited about it. We're like, yeah, let's do this thing. And what year did you guys launch service autopilot then? Uh, 
I think of January of 10 as being the official date. I remember we put up a server in November of 09. We didn't have any clients, but we put up a server. In fact, actually, we did get a client. We just put up a website, but we didn't have anything to sell yet. And a pest control company in Houston signed up for it one night. And I remember I contacted John. We were, I remember, I, maybe this isn't quite how it went, but my recollection is we both get on the phone. It's like, hey, did you set up a test account last night in the software? And we're like, yeah, it was neither one of us. And it was some company that signed up. We weren't ready for them. But oh, that was, wow. That, that was November of 09. <laughs> wow, <laughs> signed your first up. customer. Yeah, yeah. and so uh, they, they actually, we didn't have anything for them immediately, if I remember correctly. And they stayed with us for years, uh, eventually moved on. I don't know what happened to them. And so January of 10 is when I really remember we were serious about this thing. And it became our full-time, all-in effort. And simultaneously to that, you're still the owner of City Turf. Yeah. So you oh, just yeah. had management running all that to where you could give your time to this new endeavor. In, in 10, I was still... So the whole time of City Turf up until that point, I was the leader of that business. I was the sales estimating guy. I was... It was a lot, you know, a lot going on. Wow. And because also during that time, I, I was doing other software stuff. And so it was a lot. Um, I had this really awesome guy. I didn't know how awesome he was just yet, but I knew this guy has some serious potential. I really liked him. And he is the president of the company today. Okay. And um, so I started, as I remember it, this has been a while, so you never know what's like revisionist history. But as I remember it, in 2010, I was really being forced to just let him run stuff yeah. and make the decisions. And by 2012, I was almost completely uninvolved in the business. But wow. in 2010 and 11, because I was so busy, um, I was fairly uninvolved, but I started service autopilot in an office next door to city turf. So I could still kind of go over there and talk to him. He could come over and talk to me. And uh, so I was close to the business, but I wasn't running it for those two years. And then at what point did you start the lawn care millionaire? And was that just a um, marketing effort to, to, to funnel um, customers into service autopilot? Cause a lot of folks you guys know who he is from standing in front of a whiteboard talking yeah. about getting your credit card on file and all the yeah, yeah. gems you were putting out. How did how did that come into the equation? Yeah, so Lawn Care Millionaire started it before Service Autopilot trying to figure out how to sell Service Autopilot. Okay. Um, so Lawn Care Millionaire was one of the great lessons of my business career. Um, you know, I, I, I've had this conversation maybe with Naylor yesterday or somebody even today at breakfast. Lawn Care Millionaire is a tiny little chan a channel. I mean, I, I don't know. I haven't looked at it in years, but call it, I'll bet there's maybe 5 million views. I don't know. I'd have to go look. Tiny little nothing of a channel. I was telling Naylor, if that thing didn't make me, and I am not exaggerating, $10 million, I, I would be blown away. And it was that critical. And so the way that came to be was I put out this site called Lawn Care Millionaire and, and the subtitle was Ideas to Make You a Lawn Care Millionaire. Everybody calls me the Lawn Care Millionaire. The idea was I want to make you a I lawn care millionaire. I called you the Lawn Care Billionaire. Yeah, well, I appreciate I that. <laughs> <laughs> so, but um, my, my thing was I want to make you the Lawn Care Millionaire. Right. What do you need to know? I'll answer it. And what I was trying to accomplish was I wanted to understand what your pain points were, what your challenges were so that I could figure out how to word my sales videos and sales letters wow. and marketing to sell service autopilot. And what ended up happening was, I mean, this is 2010, I, this happened all the time. I was the sales guy. Um, I was the everything except the coder back then. And uh, somebody called me up 
call service autopilot up and they'd been watching a lot of millionaire videos. We talk for 55 minutes about your business. And for five minutes, we talk about software and then you'd buy the software. Wow. And it's like, wow, like this is building trust and authority. And people are just saying, hey, if you know what you're talking about and you help me with your business, you probably understand what I need in software. And they just buy. They didn't ask any of the right questions, didn't go through the right process. And it was like a wow, light bulb moment. And then um, the other thing was it just started bringing in so many clients. And, uh, and so I, if I could go do it all over again, I would go so much bigger with that. But the problem was back then, it was like we didn't have a line of credit and developers are very expensive and we, we didn't hire developers outside the United States. They all worked in our office. And so every dollar we made and every minute we had went into that business. And so I was off doing all kinds of other things and didn't spend enough time on that. I would, it was so valuable. I would do it different now. Yeah, totally. So as that's growing, service autopilot is exploding. I know, I know Payjack, Naylor, so many people are using service autopilot. At what point did that light bulb go off that somebody could purchase this for a boatload of money? Uh, when I was two years old, I got offered 20 million for it. Wow. And but when you started it, you weren't thinking, I'm going to build this and sell this. You just started it because just want to build a business and yeah. make money. I, um, even when we sold service all pie, I did not want to sell. I was not ready to sell the business. We weren't talking about selling it. It was just uh, a couple of things you might have heard. Real Green transacted. Yep. And I was like, for desktop software, they got that number. That was that because like, they had started in 19. They had started building a online version, but it wasn't really what anybody was using. Mm -hmm. And so. I mean, I, I'm not putting them down. I, I, Joe and those guys, I mean, Joe did a masterful job over there at that business. So I, I don't mean any negative, but it's like, wow, for desktop software, because we are in a SaaS world now. They got yeah. that number. And, um, and that's what made me go look at the market. So answering your question, from the early days, I knew it was a possibility like any business you build, but it was never my goal. I just wanted to build a really good business that would take really good care of me financially. And we were approached very early on um, when we were a little business. Uh, we were doing a million seven, I remember, when we got so two years in or something like that. And uh, we got that offer. And it was a very formal contract. 20 million, 20 two million. years in. Yeah. And maybe it was two and a half. And, um, and your and wife very, wants the upgraded lifestyle. Yeah. Did you even tell her? Or did you? I did. And uh, interesting, she's like, you know, if you think we should keep going, good. Uh, John and Lori had a, my business partner, John and his wife, Lori had a little bit more of a conversation about it mm -hmm. than Tiffany and I had, but, um, it was, uh, for all of us like, Hey, no, this is what we want to do. We see the potential here. Thank goodness. Oh, and when man. we sold SA or part of it, I'm still on the cap table in the explore business, but right. cap table simply means I'm still one of the owners that in the business. Yeah. Um, when uh, when we sold that business, Verizon, that was the rough Verizon, as you know, Verizon, they were in the process. Yeah. That's uh, without getting in all the details. That's kind of who was back years earlier uh, under a different name, but it's Verizon. Um, I'm, I'm leaving out some gaps, but they those guys on that call, when they were looking at us in the deal, they specifically said, it's a sure a good thing you guys didn't sell to us. <laughs> and so um, anyway, that that gave us probably some amount of confidence. We definitely thought about it. It gave us confidence that we were working on the right thing, but it really wasn't as tempting as you might think. Like we really wanted to do SA. And even in 19, John and I really wanted to do SA. I remember when we were thinking about selling the business, 
Hey folks, Paul here, and you don't want to miss the Equip Exposition this October in Louisville. You can register before September 7th for the early bird price of only $12.50 using code Paul. Dive into a world of 1,000 exhibits and hands-on demos in the industry's ultimate proving ground. Check the link in today's show notes to save big and register for only $12.50 today. Are you looking to supercharge your lawn care business? Check out Footbridge Media. They'll optimize your online presence, manage your reviews, and provide personalized marketing consulting, all under a fixed price pledge. With no hidden charges and a 90-day money-back guarantee, it's time to take your business to the next level. Visit greenindustrypodcast.com now to discover more about Footbridge Media, your bridge to success. Ready to take control of your finances and grow your business? Look no further than the Know Your Numbers e-training program. From streamlining your billing process to understanding your operational cost, this course will provide you with the foundation to succeed. Many green industry podcast listeners have already benefited from this program. It's time for you to join them. Get started now at greenindustrypodcast.com and finally make the money that you deserve. Um, we used to put on this annual event. Yo, SA4, yeah. SA5. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that event is a beatdown. And we, we never made money out. We weren't trying to make money. We were just trying to get our clients in town to hang out. You know, and, yeah, and you had and Mike Mikalowicz. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. A bunch of people. Speak. I remember yeah, yeah. those. Yeah. And so one of the things John specifically mentioned was, we're not going to be able to do the conference anymore. Like it was so that was sort of how we sort of it was hard. Even when we sold, it's like these are our people. These are our friends now. Uh, we felt like we were making a difference. Uh, I was doing the academy thing, which was a coaching thing as well. I felt like I was having an impact. And so it, it never was actually an easy decision to sell the business, even when we did it. Yeah. In the Hebrew language, the word retirement doesn't even exist. I don't like the word retirement. Right. But it doesn't. It, they, the, uh, I don't know your religion or yeah, anything. No, I'm familiar I'm, with what. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm not Jewish, but I yeah. read Daniel uh, Rabbi Lappin. He talks about okay. that there's certain words in the Jew in the Hebrew language that don't even exist because they weren't, they weren't created, which is retirement. They weren't a concept. So, yeah, they weren't yeah. a concept. So when Naylor told me, oh man, Naylor, what? <laughs> hey, Naylor, because we're sitting like this, can you get it on Jonathan's face? Like maybe put it right here or something. Thank you. So anyway, Naylor told me, Jonathan Potoshnik. Yeah. So two years off of sabbatical. I'm like, yeah. you're, you're, you're probably on the beach, like doing cartwheels or like, I can't, I can't imagine you sitting, uh, sitting somewhere relaxing. That just doesn't make sense. So yeah. how has that been two years to kind of analyze all of this and, and recalibrate? Yeah. So it's not quite, so it's, um, I gave up CEO role in SA in April of 21. So I'm, when I, I'll get back from, we travel a lot. And so when I'll yeah. get back from New Zealand on March 3rd of next year, and when I get back, um, that will be three years roughly since I gave up CEO role and two years since I stopped doing Academy. So what happened is I, I just, I gave up CEO role and I was just around for questions and essay if anybody higher up needed me or my team needed me. Mm-hmm. And then I did this Academy thing, which was not overly difficult. I'd just teach once a month and go on a trip here and there with the Academy guys, which I loved all those guys. So it was a gals. So it was, uh, you know, it didn't feel like that hard of work. Mm-hmm. So it, I, it's almost been frankly three years wow. come this March. So you went a hundred percent hard for a decade. For then, more than, well, in the SA, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then for three years with completely different gear. Yes. Yeah. And so to answer uh, what I think you were asking is it was a, it was a, 
my transition also happened during COVID. And so we were, I was at home a lot and I'm a people person. Okay. And I love my team at Service Autopilot and I'm just not really around them. I'm on Zoom. I don't enjoy that that mm-hmm. much. And so between that and now, and I wasn't really even on the Zoom much because I, I was CEO role. So I was on, and then I gave up CEO role. And so every once in a while I was on Zoom. So it was sort of me and Tiffany at home. I guess my boys were still home at the time, but it was like, there wasn't a ton of, there wasn't that work stuff I normally had. And so um, between that and then not really having a purpose where you're not moving the ball forward, you don't right. feel like you're progressing, you don't feel like you're solving a problem. It was a weird feeling where I was just off. Mm-hmm. I wasn't unhappy, but I wasn't like you would say, oh, man, if you're on break, it's got to be insane. I didn't feel that way. I felt things were just off. Okay. And um, and it took me a while to sort of get past that phase. I think I had to decompress. Okay. I'll give you an example. Tiffany makes fun of me for this. I, um, I The property I own is or where I, my house is four acres, rough, mainly in the trees. And so um, I sell the business and I'll just go out there with a Home Depot bucket and pick up rocks or <laughs> like pick up tree branches or things like that. I just dumb stuff that yeah. or trim the trees. Like I don't need to do any of these things, but I would just go do those things. And I think I just needed to decompress. Yeah. The selling process was intense. And um, and so it took me a while to unwind. Then I sort of unwound and we've been doing a lot of traveling. I ride motorcycles, race cars, I do all these other things. And so I had plenty of things I was doing. And I got to a point where it's like, oh, I could do this. I could I could keep doing this for a while. In fact, at times I thought maybe I could do this the rest of my life. I can find enough hobbies and things to do that maybe I don't work again. Never really believed that, but I like I could do it. And I think that was telling. I got to a place where I had decompressed. I had accepted my new world. And then I uh, got through that trough of mm-hmm. acceptance and happiness to uh, I'm ready to be back in the game. Yeah. And that's why and I'm here. I just showed up. I for wouldn't this be thing. surprised if I don't know if it's going to be your next chapter to the chapter after that chapter after that. If, if you even Trump service autopilot success, like it, it may when your journey as an entrepreneur yeah. is over, Jonathan, that that wasn't the greatest feat. It might there might be something down the road where you everything you learned from that as successful as it was. You, you have a new thing that you're just. It might be. I don't know. Um, Most likely it won't be about the money, though. Um, It's like if you measure in money, I don't know if I'll do something bigger um, simply because I might, though. I don't know where life's going. You know, and I'm not trying to. It's really so you you have a big win. I've had a few wins, but really big win with service autopilot. You have a lot of friends that are very successful, maybe way more successful than you that, you know, have sold companies for. $500 $500 million, just big numbers. Mm-hmm. And, um, and there's this competitive element. And I'm trying to be very careful of that where it's like, okay, are you getting back in the game just to keep a scorecard that, you know, as I say, doesn't even matter. Right. And so I fight that a little bit. So I think there's a chance I do something financially bigger, but I think it's more likely I do something that's more meaningful right. as an example where I know I'm going, but I don't know how fast I'm going down this road. I want to work with high school and college kids to become entrepreneurs. I don't want to, I don't want to convince them to become entrepreneurs. I want the, the younger people that raise their hand and say, this is the life I want to the travel. I want to help them. I want to help those that sort of pop their head up, much like Wiley, my son, you know, because I think those are the people that change the world. And so that may not be like you're selling to the absolute worst audience. They have no money. So that's right. not a good business, but it's something I really care about. So it could be that I don't do something financially bigger. It's that I do something that I feel is more impactful and more meaningful. And I would get a lot out of that. What is your key messaging to that young high school, college entrepreneur? 
with a clean slate? What, what do you tell them? You Here's have the core to do principles. It. Oh, principles? Well, first, I would tell them this is the if you are attracted to this life, you have to do it. You have to go for it. Um, and you have to do the time. There's a um, there's a, a general idea in the world that you should get your outcomes very fast. Take it cryptocurrency or whatever. You know, you heard all the stories of the guy that bought it 100 and, you know, it ran up to 60,000 or whatever. You hear all these fast stories or you hear about the last few years of some young tech entrepreneur and they became a billionaire. And so there's this misunderstanding that your success should happen quickly. And it doesn't actually almost it almost never happens that way. And so one of my core messages is and it's not a great sales message if you're trying to attract people to entrepreneurship, but this is going to be freaking hard. Mm -hmm. And you're going to be tired and exhausted and you're going to want to give up and you're going to wonder if it's worth it. And can I afford that employee? Should I hire more employees or should I keep it small? You're going to have all these questions. It's worth every minute of it. It is it's the thing. If you are even slightly interested, you have to do it. You have to go for it and you have to be willing to sacrifice the time to become the kind of person that deserves to own a bigger business and have success and have wealth. And um, it's very tempting to, on a day when you're tired, compromise and say, well, maybe I don't really want that. Maybe I don't really want that business. Maybe I don't really want to own my own business. Maybe I don't really want to be a millionaire someday. Maybe I don't want to live on that. In that, And I'm making some of it about financial stuff. There's lots of other reasons to do this. Maybe I don't really care about having a bigger house or that car I dreamed of since I was 10. And that's a compromise. That is you compromising wow. because it's hard. And so you tell yourself a new story to make to let yourself off the hook. That is the worst thing you can do. You you have to, if this is what you want, you have to get this thing no matter what. And so another conversation I have is it's a younger individual and they'll say, well, maybe I should go get a job for six years or eight years and save some money and learn some things and come back. Oh, that'd be great. But let's look at the data. You're probably never coming back because as soon as you get married and you have a kid or you don't get married or have a kid, but you go buy a bigger house and a cool car. You can't, you're like, that's the new standard of life and you're not willing to give up the money. And so you never build the thing. And so you never live the life. This is the best life you can live. I don't care if you are, I don't care if you keep your business small, you're, but it's a good business. You're in control. Like I believe that happiness is hope and hope is that tomorrow could be better than today. Wow. And you get hope from being in charge. If you go to a job that you can go to a great job with great people, I'd like to think it serves all pilot. I provided that and, and people can do well inside a job, but a lot of jobs kind of suck and they really do. And whether it be the owner or now it's own, it's a public company or a big corporation, or it's a, you know, it's a financial buyer that owns it. They just, it all feels like it's just about making money. It doesn't feel like there's any other purpose. And that is the purpose of a business. But my point is you get trapped inside those organizations. They don't generally bring people a lot of satisfaction and happiness. And so you don't have the hope. And, but when you're in control of your thing, there's this hope that, hey, I could learn another skill. Tomorrow could be better. I could eventually find that right person. Tomorrow will be better. Uh, you, there, and that is what I believe leads to happiness. Also, I'm giving you a very long answer. But what also I believe happens is um, when you're in control, 
you have to learn all these skills and those skills give you confidence and confidence also leads to happiness. Confidence leads to hope. Like I could be, I could fix a thing or be in control of it. Well guys, this is a lot of fun and I'm excited to announce we're going to have part two with Jonathan coming up on tomorrow's program. I want to say thank you to John Pajak and Naylor Taliaferro for setting this one up. So we're at the huge convention in Nashville, Tennessee, and Naylor got to grab some dinner with Jonathan last night. And I know uh, I was talking with him and Payjack, just saying, man, if there's any way you guys can can help me uh, be able to interview Jonathan on my podcast, I would absolutely cherish and appreciate that. And uh, Naylor and John planted the seeds and, and made the necessary communication to um, set it all up. And I'm just extremely thankful because I deeply uh, value and respect uh, Jonathan Potoshnik. He's so smart. And back in the day on YouTube, I just would binge watch his videos about getting a card on file for your customers that were in the business of selling time. And just, I learned so much from him. Uh, so such an honor to get to meet him in person, have him on the podcast. And I look forward to sharing part two with you on tomorrow's show. Thank you to R58 Lawn Care on Apple Podcasts. He just dropped us a five-star rating and review, says amazing content. Paul provides amazing content that helps grow and take your business to the next level. Really appreciate the time and energy he gives to make this podcast so great. Well, thank you, R58 Lawn Care, for the kind words on Apple Podcasts. Uh, Those ratings and reviews and you guys following the show uh, means the world to us. So if you're not already following on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, uh, smash that follow button, turn that bell on for notifications, um, and we hope to catch you on the next episode. Thanks for listening. The Know Your Numbers training program is the shortcut to financial freedom that I wish I had. You see, success requires more than us just working in our business. We must learn how to work on our business. And in the Know Your Numbers training program, you'll learn how to stop burning cash so you can learn to make all your services truly profitable. You can bid with total confidence that each job you sell need more profit in your pocket as you build long-term wealth. Because we're going to teach you how to start paying yourself as the owner of the business the right way. You can grow a healthy business as we identify and track your cash flow for continuing success so you can stop losing sleep over financial details as you gain the skills to delegate the tough number crunching activities as a lawn care business owner. And never chase those unpaid invoices again. We'll teach you how to streamline your billing into a hands-free process. So we will cover all of this and so much more as John Pajak and I are the teachers in this e-training program. It's called Know Your Numbers. It's available at our resource center at thegreenindustrypodcast.com. Hey, it's Marty, producer of the Green Industry Podcast. This episode is over, but check the episode notes for links to products and services that you heard about during the episode. And thanks for listening. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.